One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to the latest edition of the Football Writers Podcast, featuring me, Mike Calvin, Miguel Delaney of The Independent, and Dominic Fifield of The Athletic. It's FA Cup semi-final weekend, one of the signposts of the season. It kicks off with a potential preview of the Champions League final between Chelsea and Manchester City. Then, on Sunday, Leicester meets Southampton, with 4,000 fans allowed inside the modern mausoleum that is Wembley. The Saints have had a season of emotional contrasts and the occasional beating. Leicester will be favourites to reach the final. Dom, can they overcome this ominous wobble they've had in the Premier League lately? They can, and they've got players who owe the manager a performance now following their their COVID breaches last weekend. The quality is there in that Leicester, Leicester team, certainly to to overcome the wobble. I mean, we, we're talking, you know, a defeat to Manchester City and a, a loss at a resurgent West Ham United. So it's hardly disaster time in terms of the, the, the results that have slipped. And I think Leicester would look at their next four league fixtures, West Brom, Palace, Southampton and Newcastle as a as a very good opportunity for them to regain momentum in their their league pursuit of of the top four finish, but moreover, this is their first FA Cup semi final. I think since nineteen eighty two. I think they've got their motivation is is to progress in this competition and to and to claim silverware again, and that that will be motivation enough. I mean that that really should that really should get the juices flowing of of this hugely talented young, vibrant team who have, who have had another excellent season. I mean, it's, it's like last season, I know they tailed off towards the end of last season in that surreal post-lockdown period, but the bottom line is they've, they've done really, really well and they've been consistently excellent throughout. So, yes, they can recover, absolutely, and they will see this, this game against Southampton on Sunday as an opportunity to, to showcase their abilities. Mm. Yeah, as um, Dom... Mentioned there, Miguel, Brendan Rodgers, were you impressed by his strength of management in dropping those players for defying the COVID um, restrictions? And it did have a, a bit of the air of the Fergie about it, didn't it? Yeah, I mean, my, when, I, when, I, when I heard it, I mean, my, my first thought was the famous story is of Sharp and Giggs, or I think as Fergie called them, you know, five and 11 by their squad numbers, hadn't their names. I don't know if Rogers did that. But yeah, I mean, it was particularly strong given 
the stage of the season, given Leicester, given the wider context about Leicester's slide. And as Dom says now, those players really own a performance. And that's where we could see the wider effect of Rodgers' management. But do, I mean, obviously, there's been a lot of parallels with last season. A lot of people thinking that Leicester will drop off in the same way. There are probably differences. And one of them I do think, actually, is that Leicester have actually had more injuries throughout this season. So have a lot of players to come back fresh for this final stretch. So that's why, I, I, I mean, as, as Dom said, they weren't, the performance against West Ham, I say, was more worrying than the City performance. But it, it wasn't a total collapse either way. They, they, they came close to coming back. And I do think they have a bit more in the tank. And, and this semi-final could be what sparks them again. With Rodgers and his, his background, he's got, he's got, he's, he basically comes from that development and coaching background, doesn't he, Dom? Reading, Chelsea. Do you think that firmness of purpose that he showed in acting as a disciplinarian was actually a product of his of his previous career in terms of that's what you need to do when you're dealing with younger players? Yeah, it must have come into it. I mean, he, he could easily have just find the players, given them a slap on the wrist and allowed them to play. And, and But by sort of cutting cutting off his nose to spite his face, he, he, he's made a bigger statement. And it, I think it reflects the philosophy that that he has, he's implemented at that club. And that is, yeah, that, that is something that's, that's steeped in his, you know, the, the work he's done in, in youth systems and in academies, I think, over the years. It's, He's he's asking for responsibility. He's asking for his players to take responsibility for their actions, really. And you know, if they do cross the line, then they will be be punished. And even if that even if that is to the detriment of of the team, and I guess the idea is to try and get them to have a bit of pride in how they conduct themselves, and 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 you know, thinking about the bigger picture all the time, and. You know what? Of of all those the players that were involved in that COVID breach, I, I suspect that the one he's most upset with and and disappointed in is actually the most experienced member of the team, Wes Morgan, who was also there apparently. And and I mean, his presence, the club captain's presence. I mean, he's not a, he's not a mainstay of the team anymore by any any stretch of the imagination. He's he's a bit part player these days, but it probably. Offered, I don't know. It probably validated almost to the younger players who were attending that party that they they could be there. But the, the fact that they had a, you know, a player in his mid thirties with all that weight of experience on his shoulders, and and he he was there as well. So it probably set the wrong tone that the others followed, and that will have disappointed Rogers most of all because because it 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 did they did all let him down. They let the club down, but they let Rogers down, and and. I think I, I think it's a brilliant brilliant start. I mean, look, it's damaged Leicester. I mean, they, they would have would they have lost at West Ham had those those guys been fit. I mean, Madison in particular is is a massive loss to to Leicester City, and then Perez would arguably playing some of the better f- football of his Leicester City career when he, he's in, he's absent now. So it, it has it has hurt them, but I think the wider message that he's put out there is is very much more beneficial to to the club and the development of those players. Yeah, well, it's all about taking responsibility for your actions. And you, know, you mentioned James Madison. Migs, with, with Gareth Southgate warning about distraction, 
he's blown his chance of making the Euros, hasn't he? Oh, yeah. It feels like that completely. I mean, we had a, a dailies with uh, Southgate on Tuesday. Jacob Steinberg of the Guardian made a, made a point of asking him about this. And, you know, Southgate gave his usual spiel about discipline, but also stress. He really made a point of saying how at the end of uh, the autumn fixtures, he sat the players down for a chat about this because there'd been, there'd been so many distractions through breaches, how the March fixtures were so much more you know, easy to prepare for without him. And I mean, there were, of course, there was already uncertainty about about Madison. I, I remember someone in football put up to me at the time that one of the reasons Madison was doing more interviews was almost if they, they felt because to make himself more visible because there was a danger just completely dropping off the picture. And now, given that and given how, given that the emphasis that, uh, that Southgate has put on team discipline and what's happened over the last year, it feels like now his chances are absolute zero, unless he does something incredible in the fi- in the final few games of the campaign. But he, even then, given the competition for places, it, it's it's really hard to see. He's only got one cap, hasn't he? And 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 this was a player that Southgate was actually in person at the London Stadium to watch. He was there, and mm. and his absence would have been keenly felt on on, on that respect. I, I completely agree with Migs. I, I I just can't see how he makes a, a a late run into that into that England setup, given the other options that that uh, Southgate has, and and if, indeed how some of those players, who I'm sure we'll discuss later on, are excelling at the moment. Yeah, yeah. When you when you think about it, impressions of unreliability do linger in football, don't they? Because it is such a, a global village. In playing terms, Migs, Kelechi Iheanacho, seven in five, can he keep masking the poor form of uh, Vardy? <laughs> it's interesting because, I mean, John mentioned there about other players coming ahead of Madison that we're going to mention. One of them is Lingard. And without getting into his form, though, his, his, his current streak, good as he is, feels like the definition of a hot streak in football, except <laughs> Iheanacho is probably almost on the same sort of run. No, it, it it doesn't feel like it can rely upon him just by virtue of the fact that go, going by Ianacho's pre- previous career, going by how, the, the, how these things go, it will run out at some point, possibly some point when it's most inconvenient. And <laughs> I think Le- Le- Leicester have to get back to what they have maybe made more of a virtue of this season, which is having more goals from around the team, or rather more threat from around the team, which meant Vardy was kind of, rather than go, everything going through him, meant he was just... Uh, topping that off and, and again I suppose it's, a, it's another one of these little issues that has just allowed Leicester to kind of to just about hang on to their to, to where they are when, when there is a threat of things kind of dissipating a little bit but yeah it is something Rogers has to work on yeah with the threat posed by Southampton uh, Dom I suppose in many ways, is almost a, f- a free hit for Southampton. This is their season condensed into 90 or you know, maybe 120 minutes. What threat will they pose, perhaps just beyond James Ward-Prowse and, and Danny Ings? Is that the problem, that they're a little bit one-dimensional? Well, they've, they've, they've got the, the ammunition there. They've got a lot of pace in that team. Armstrong's excellent as well. I mean, they've got, they have got ability... It's it's been their downturn has been surprising. I mean, bear in mind this was a team that topped the division, topped the Premier League at, at one point in the autumn. I mean, it's I mean it's they they seem to be 
you know, all, all that good form. They always have one amazing run of a one of form in a season. They had it early this year. They usually have it at the end of the season. And that, that their tail off has been dramatic. I don't think it is a free hit. I don't think you can. I, th- I think when you're in that that run of form, and you know, when you've been humili- humiliated at West Bromwich Albion only last week, and and just how badly things have gone in the Premier League, they they clearly have put all their eggs in one basket, which means that this is not a free hit. This is this is as you say, this is their season, and that actually that puts more pressure on them to to deliver. But they're going to need, yeah, they're going to need Ward Prowse to to pull the strings, and they're going to need. Ings to be razor sharp, but they're also going to need, you know, the, the pace of Redmond. They're going to need the influence of Armstrong. They're going to need that defence rekindling some of the form from earlier in the season, and they haven't shown that very often in of late. I know they've had injuries and disruption as well as like 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 every club have in the division, but but there are a lot of a lot of players there that have to have to step up now and and seize this as an opportunity as well. Because let's let's be honest. As good as Leicester have been this season, Southampton would have preferred to face them than the other two teams in this in the semi final. So this is an opportunity for them to get to the to the final of the competition and 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 remind themselves of how good they should be. Having said all that, Migs, can you see that Leicester taking advantage of a defence which certainly in recent evidence looks pretty fundamentally flawed? You would think that should be the case, but. I was doing a little, I'm doing a piece in this for the weekend. I was doing a bit of research and kind of, you know, form going into semifinals and, uh, you know, h- how much I can firm. And it is very, very 50. It's a, it's a fixture. And I suppose maybe this is because the nature of the World Cup, or sorry, the nature of the FA Cup these days that can actually throw up a few wild card results. And Southampton, should they get to the, fi- to the final, they would a team on the worst form to do so since. Any ideas? Blimey. Um, it is Palace that is 2016. In, in 2016. Yeah, yeah that would be about right. We were just <laughs> yeah. for that second half of the season. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I mean, I, I, I suppose, I mean, to, to be fair to that Palace, this Southampton form goes back way, uh, it, it goes back longer. And, I, and, I, and I, this is why it isn't, whatever about a free hit for the club, it's certainly not a free hit for Hasenhutl. Because as Dom says, it does feel like he's he has put all his eggs into this into this tournament. That it's almost like they've set aside league form for this, and I, I think that comes across because suddenly there are, especially among the fan base, a few concerns about the drop off, and even from little bits you hear now around the squad. Well, obviously, so much has been made of how Hasenhutl coaches, and he is usually admired for that. But and he, you know he has been talked about as a, as another Klopp for many obvious reasons. But, you know, the, the comparisons only go so far because there are a few little murmurs that he maybe isn't as warm as Klopp and some of the players have found found he can, he can be difficult. Now, of course, so, I mean, these are the sort of stories that always come out more in spells of bad form, like when they got beaten 9-0 the first time, which is an amazing sentence in itself. <laughs> uh, but... But, but but the club per- persevered, and then you know once once the coaching takes effect, then you know previous quibble, quibbles are forgotten. Forgotten, but there is a, there is a little something there, and I think it's why there is a pressure. I mean, if this season peters out now with this defeat, and they kind of end up finishing fifteenth or sixteenth, Hasenhutl, for all he was praised, and it's not too long ago Tottenham would have seen him as a potential replacement for for Jose Mourinho, if and when they do make that change, you know his job could be in danger. Yeah, and I suppose everyone would be looking at the other semi-final as to, to try and find the identity of the winners of the whole competition. 
Dom, Chelsea's prospects against City in, you know, as we said earlier, what could be a preview of the Champions League final, they've had an extra 24 hours rest. Is that a factor, do you think, in what's really been a relentless season? I think it probably will play a little little part. I, I, I suspect the sports scientists at City know how to to maximise the use of the time that they've got and, and, and between their Dortmund tie and, and the semi-final. But, but yeah... I mean, Chelsea were in Spain. They would have got back in the small hours of uh, of Wednesday morning. They would have rested up, I would have thought, throughout Wednesday. So, yeah, they, they should be slightly more refreshed. I don't think that extra 24 hours is going to be beneficial in terms of getting back injured players. I mean, Matteo Kovacic, I don't think, will feature at the weekend, and that is a major blow for Chelsea because he has been excellent of late, and he's a, he's one of their players that, the breaks a press. I don't feel very comfortable using all these modern young terms. I have to say, but but apparently that's what happens. Um, he he is, uh, yeah. So he 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 will be his his absence will be keenly felt. So there'll be an even more of a reliance upon Angolo Conte, who isn't fully fit himself. They need the likes of Jorginho to step up, and and as as excellent as Jorginho was against an anemic Crystal Palace on Saturday, and. And a strangely subdued Porto through large periods on on Tuesday night. On the pitch. Tends, yeah, on the yeah, yeah on the pitch. Um, he he tends to get overwhelmed in games against the elite teams, particularly in the Premier League. So that that's another test of of his caliber, you know, at Wembley this weekend. And it's a, actually it's a test of Tuchel as well because I think this is, you know, this will tell us a lot more about. How good Chelsea are under under his coaching and his his setup, and the confidence that they'll, they'll have gained from you know I know it's two defeats now in seventeen, isn't it? But Tuesday didn't really feel like a defeat, really. So it's it's an intriguing tie from Chelsea's perspective. I think it'll be a really difficult one for them, but but they will have a chance. And I and I do wonder whether coming up again, if if Pep decides to pick his. He's a Guerrero Yetus team as opposed to the team full of, full of fluent attacking midfielders. Weirdly, I think that might actually benefit Chelsea slightly to be able to to have two distinct forwards that they can mark with their three at the back. And uh, that might make life slightly easier for them, but only slightly. Mm. How important do you think N'Golo Kante will be? He seems to be the hub of a team that, that Tuchel's trying to depict as, as relatively inexperienced. Yeah, I mean, and you only have to look at the the wealth of trophies, even the uh, the well, as you say, the way he takes responsibility in so many different senses. And, and I suppose it's, it's it's particularly key in a game like this. You, I mean, one of the th- things that struck me, but I know we'll get onto the Champions League in a bit. What struck about the uh, City's win over Dortmund, which you maybe'd expect this this game to go in the same way. I mean, right, Tuchel has been more possession based, but this is going to be a game where they'll probably seed it. And once City got ahead against Dortmund, and kind of it's almost like those nerves had calmed from what was another pretty fraught situation in Europe for them. But one that could now be another key point in the season in, in what it does to them psychologically. But you'd expect City to try play through Chelsea in a similar way. And it's <laughs> in situations like that, Kante is never more important just because he has that energy and leads the way in terms of breaking things up. He could be he could be the most influential player on the pitch on Saturday. It's interesting to see how the 
the bigger picture is beginning to form around Tuchel or what we now, I suppose, have to call Tuchel's Chelsea. Thiago Silva talking glowingly about his new coach, looking maybe to get a new contract. He's talking about the 2022 World Cup. The team development, if they are short, Dom, in what areas are they short? Well, they lack a number nine. They they lack a natural number nine. If they went out and bought a, a Haaland type figure, then they would be a considerable threat to in the Premier League title race, I'd argue. I think they actually, for all that Thiago Silva has, has done well and has obviously been influential, they also probably lack a, a centre back of his, a younger centre back who they can build on for the future. But I, 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 I think Tuchel's done brilliantly with the players at his disposal, like most new Chelsea managers tend to do when they come in mid-season, it has to be said. There's only really been Gus Hiddink, who's second time round, who he struggled to a certain extent to to raise a flagging team. And, and even he went on a 10-match unbeaten run initially, although most of those were draws. So we shouldn't get carried away with what Tuchel's done. But he has done well. But the summer will show, I think, a different Tuchel. I think they'll. I think we'll see a ruthless Thomas Tuchel in terms of the recruitment that Chelsea muster. I think the, the the players that he allows to leave will also be quite interesting, and then if there could be some some noses put out a joint a bit. I don't think he'll be afraid of doing that, and he'll have the backing of the board, particularly if he continues along the, the the path that his team is 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 traveling at the moment and and let's be honest that you know they are they are challenging well on all all the fronts that you know that he was asked to do and it's the Champions League semi-final for the first time since 2014 is an excellent excellent return i think he's probably favorites to get finish in the top 4 the way things have gone in the league still got the FA Cup obviously this weekend i think the board will back him and there will be more investment in the summer and and it wouldn't surprise me if some of those additions are made are surprising in terms of who they dislodge. Mm. Do you think they're capable of winning the Champions League, Migs? Yeah, I've thought that for some time. And I think it's, I mean, when I was thinking this back in February, March, it was more based on the fact that in a season like this, with a, with a, with a schedule as congested as this, all of their most, or sorry, I suppose all you'd say all of their most high-profile and most important players have played fewer minutes than all of their rivals. I think at one stage, it was something like, say, they had a 1,000 minutes less than the equivalent players at Manchester United or Manchester City. We said, what, that's 10, 11 games. That's huge. But, of course, even since then, they've grown as a team. And I I think Dom is right as well. This is about... I suppose there's a difference in situations like this between steadily building form when it matters, but you don't absolutely have to do it in any given game, and then a match like this where suddenly there's this concrete consequence, and especially against what might be the best team in Europe, certainly the best team in England, that this is more this is this is more of I suppose a, a do or die test. And I think it's gonna be interesting to see where they are and maybe tell a little bit for this Champions League. But I think they've they've got the quality, they've got the squad depth, they've got an exceptional manager who maybe is at, in terms of actually winning the Champions League, might be at a good point because I suppose we already know um you know, when he got the job, there's already previous talk about sometimes the friction that Tuchel can cause, where it already feels very premature for that. Obviously, things have been going quite well at Chelsea. So they might just be in a good place and things might fall fall for them well. 
And I, I imagine, say, if it's you know Tuchel against his old club in the final, I'd certainly fancy him against Real Madrid, I have to say. But I, I think they're in a good place going into the end of the season. And even allowing for City's amazing last few months, this is pretty much a 50-50 game, I think. Yeah, well, Pep Guardiola's reached his eighth Champions League semi-final. It's not one for the romantics, is it? City and PSG, when when we look at the broader ramifications of, of those two clubs. But Manchester City, as they stand at the moment, you know, there were questions asked in Dortmund. Did they answer them effectively enough, Dom, for you to be convinced of their potential? Yeah, I think so. That tie probably... The, the, the quality of Dortmund was maybe a bit underestimated from the outside. I mean, we, everybody sort of fixated on Haaland, but actually Dortmund are a, a really good team. And and it's encouraging uh, as an Englishman to see that Jude Bellingham making such progress there and, and looking, the, looking the part. And, you know, on the on the back of those two performances against City you, 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 and, and, and indeed his form in the Bundesliga this season, you, you just sort of, you just hope that he's he's involved in and heavily involved in Southgate's squad come the summer. But, you know, City had to deal with a setback. They, you know, they were trailing at half-time. They were, they, they were playing catch-up in the tie at half-time last, and on, on Wednesday night, and, um, and they reacted. And there have been times in the Champions League quarter-finals where their sort of world has imploded under Pep in recent years. So in that respect, it's... It's clear progress, a first semi-final for him at the club, a second in the club's history. And, yeah, look, nothing nothing from those two games particularly made me think City aren't going to be capable of, of reaching the final and winning it. It's it's encouraging that they, they're they finding different ways of, of winning matches and even in adversity they're, they're, they're stealing themselves and they can, they can rely on such wonderful players as, as Phil Foden. I mean, what a talent he's, he's becoming as well. Mm. Mentioning Foden there, Migs, as his development methods, or, or certainly the, the methods employed on him, have they been fully justified? Because he hasn't been rushed in. You know, we had, you know, on, on this show, we were throwing up our, our arms, weren't we, saying, why doesn't he play more? Why isn't he a regular? Maybe he's been treated in the right way delicately and now he is going to flourish do you agree with that it feels like that's the case and i have to say i mean i do think some of the initial concerns about foden were fair that shouldn't be underestimated knowledge because you talk you talk to anyone in that sphere of development and the consensus is always that i mean in fact i think uefa have published figures in this and i know it's, it's also the foundation say of leipzig's approach that if you don't play a certain amount of or it's something like all of the players that play in the Champions League have played a certain amount of football between the ages of 17 and 20. And those are crucial ages to be getting first-team experience. And it's a particular point when you need when players basically need their talent honed by proper professional competitiveness. Now, I suppose, while that may be true for the general approach, the reality is also that every single player is different. So from that, and I mean, that, I suppose that is the context of why there was such concern for Foden initially, because he, he didn't seem to be getting the regular football that his talent warranted he should. And I think it's why there were fair calls to send him out on loan. But yeah, every player responds differently. And now, I suppose, from, from obviously the inside and very intimate information that City have and that Guardiola would have, 
they've it, it transpires they've taken what is exactly the right choice or the right, right choices for Foden. And now, I mean, we're at, we're at a point now where it's not just obviously he's making good in his talent, but I think he's probably City's most important player after De Bruyne. I mean, certainly in terms of goal scoring effect, you can. I mean, you got the two really crucial goals in this tie. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly that semi final against PSG is is you know really worth looking forward to. What do you make of the development of PSG under Pochettino, Dom? Perhaps not so decorative or individualistic. Maybe more of a collective ethos. Possibly, and that would that would fit into to what Pochettino would 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 have his his teams be i guess it still feels a bit early days i mean let's we shouldn't hide away from the fact that their form in league is 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 not impressive really i mean with those with that caliber of player to call upon they shouldn't be ceding the the league title potentially to Lille, a, a club in horrible financial difficulty and he have to to operate in a very different way to psg but in europe yes they've They've impressed. I mean, they did get to the final of this competition last season, so that they're presumably they're actually maintaining standards more than setting new new standards. Although it was a statement for them to eliminate Bayern Munich. I mean, that that that's inescapable. It doesn't get any easier for them from now on in. Collective and individual. I, I I don't know. I still think I still look at that PSG team and think it's largely about what Mbappe and 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 Neymar do, and they're both wonderful, wonderful players and. If you have those players in your in your team, then why wouldn't you set up with, you know, you nine guys do all the work and let these let these two inflict all the wounds? I mean, it's it's they're that good, but it's 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 too early probably to judge on 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 Pochettino in in terms of the philosophy that he's trying to impose there. It's not an easy job really because he, given that he took over a Champions League finalist, I mean, it was only one. One place you can go to improve upon that, really, isn't it? Let's, let's be honest. And he's he's done everything he can to having having got them out of the group just about and to to achieve that. So let's see, let's see what progress it it makes and, and how they cope with City in the semi. The, the one thing I would say, John, just on that, sorry, uh, is that um, I think there is a bit of a difference in that last season on the run to the, on the run to the final. Paris Saint Germain basically beat clubs that they should be beating. And kind of of a lesser status, and and in some ways, I mean, this isn't trying to diminish what Tuchel did, but I suppose it's still a bit of reality. In some ways, it was still like previous season, and they ultimately got knocked out by you know the first super club or team of equivalent level they played, even though this happened to be in the final this time. And I think this is where the teams they've eliminated this season have been significant because okay, it's might it might be a diluted Barca, but it's still Barca, and you can't really make any of those criticisms of Bayern Munich given that the European champions, even without Lewandowski, because you know PSG had their own absence. I think Marquinhos was pretty key given that attack, and I suppose what was, I mean, what seemed a little bit different about this game? Yes, obviously, of course, Neymar and Mbappe set everything, but for this tie and especially in the second leg it was that kind of defensive trident that were particularly valuable and ended up being really important particularly Pereira given he doesn't even like playing centre half and I mean yeah you're right it's early days but it's it's difficult not to associate that with the kind of this that kind of grit and resolve that Pochettino tries to make such a core of his teams. Mm. There was a noticeable narrative after that Bayern win Dom that 
that Neymar is underappreciated. I couldn't get my head around it personally. You know, he's someone who scored, I think, it's 67 goals in as many Champions League games. What's your appreciation of Neymar in terms of where he stands you know, in that great pantheon we always talk about? Well, I guess the criticism of him is probably born of this being a player that was that walked away from Barcelona because he he didn't want to live in the what he perceived to be the shadows of 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 other players in that in that front three. I guess it's also a, a legacy of maybe some of the the play acting on on the pitch. But but in his defence on that, this is he is a player that's effectively well actually been kicked out of tournaments. I mean, kicked to pieces on the pitch over the years. So I don't have too I mean I have a bit of sympathy for him you know if he goes down having with some of the treatment that he's subjected to I, I just think he's a he's a wonderful wonderful player and and he is he's a Brazilian footballer you know number 10 he scores goals scores wonderful goals he's got quick feet he's actually got everything you'd want you know if you were, if you're a young kid growing up and you wanted to be a footballer he's probably what you'd want to be He's he he has the the romance of it all and and the 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 brilliance and the effervescence that that is what Neymar is and may, maybe maybe people are are belatedly re, realizing that now look it doesn't help that he went he went off and and sort of he went to to Ligue 1 as well at a time when for for an astronomical and fee of money that people found maybe a bit distasteful. And and he, he just looked like a massive fish in a in a tiny tiny pond for a while. But but I think I think what what he's doing in Europe sets him apart. Still, I think he's he's just he is a wonderful player. I mean that that's inescapable. You can't you can't deny that he's he's brilliant at what he does. When Neymar is on it, I I think he's possibly maybe at least top three players to watch in the world. I think he's absolutely joyous to watch. But as you say, it's. It's just, I think for a lot of people, it can be difficult to t- detach that from everything that goes on around him. And then there are questions about how often he turns it on, which I think is a bit unfair. Uh, uh, like, again, Neymar shouldn't really be detached from the kind of situation he, he, he grew up and developed in. And it's probably a pressure, for all the people think of him as some sort of kind of, you know, feckless and dull star, it's really a pressure that more players than anyone have had to deal with. I mean, I was at that opening game in the 2014 World Cup uh, and like just the, the the weight of expectation on him was something like I've never experienced. And he went and scored a, a crucial goal in that game. But let's not forget as well, this is a guy that essentially since he was a child, he he, he was seen as Brazil's next saviour, openly talked about, especially in, because he also developed a, what was something of a little bit of a more fallow period for Brazilian football. But he, he was willingly talked up as the next Pelé, having always to deal with that. Because of that as well, this... <laughs> you might call it kind of this Neymar industrial complex group around him, and he, where he has this ridiculous entourage of people. Obviously, there's been the influences of his father, and for, like I've spoken to a few people that have worked with him and say Neymar himself is actually just if you get him on his own, and he he's actually quite a nice, innocent kid. He'll always he'll do anything to help, but just there's there's this kind of whole business that has grown up around him. And I remember being told an extension of that. Now again, I imagine there's a lot of influences here. But uh, that that have guided this, but I suppose this possibly points to kind of one of the bigger issues of them that it was actually 
I mean, there's always been this perception that he was forced to get to Paris Saint-Germain against his will. But I remember being told that he actually wanted to go there partly because he wanted to be his own man, which I think is something that, that says an awful lot, given certain perceptions of him and, and given how bizarrely constricted his life has been, despite the, obviously the obvious freedom of so much money and so much fame. Yeah, I always find it particularly instructive to look at clips from early on in a in a player's career. You know, I, I was coincidentally I, I was watching an early Neymar performance against Ronaldinho in an amazing game, a four three game, and you know you used the right adjective, Dom, joyous. The way he manipulated the ball, he wasn't just a dribbler. The the dexterity that he had was was amazing. And sometimes I suppose we lose that because we do talk about, you know, we're doing it with Haaland at the moment. We're talking about them as commodities rather than, than individuals and people, you know, cut them and they bleed and all that. I suppose football is a really harsh business. And well, you look at the fallout from the Champions League semifinals, looks likely now that Hansi Flick's going to leave Bayern probably to join the uh, national team. We're talking about Nagelsmann as another domino to fall, maybe going to, to Bayern. It's harsh, especially on coaches. Because Pochettino's stock is so high, Dom, is that very bad news for Jose Mourinho? <laughs> I don't think things are great for Jose Mourinho, regardless of what Pochettino's been doing in with, with PSG, to be perfectly honest. Uh, Really, really weird situation at Spurs. I mean, I've, I've watched quite a bit of their, quite a few of their games of late, and and I, I, I'm not. I have no affiliation with Tottenham Hotspur. I, I have no feelings either way for them. But, but I've been left tearing my hair out at the 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 amount of natural ability and and talent in that squad, and and how seldom it's demonstrated out on the pitch and I'm talking attacking talent primarily I mean we all fixate on on Kane and there was a period this season where we we lumped Son in there as well but but throughout throughout that squad there's lavish lavish ability and and creativity and incision and brilliant brilliant players and yet this is a team that that can be so passive for so long in so many games. And unfortunately, as much as he would like, much, as much as he would rail against it and, and he would insist that it's not down to him, that is the responsibility of a coach to, to stop that from happening. He has, he has to get better, more out of those players. He has to coax more out of their players. He has to, if it's, a, if it's an issue with confidence, then, it, then he has to raise their spirits. So he, a coach of his ability, with, of his standing, of his pedigree and everything that he's achieved in the game should be able to, to, to raise that team. And as it is at the moment, Tottenham, whenever they come up against a, a team lower than them in the table... They they showcase their swashbuckling best. I don't go back to those games against Burnley and Crystal Palace where they were absolutely wonderful to to watch and they just showed what they could do. Whenever they come up against a team that's of the same ability or above them, they just shrink. The players completely shrink and and their performances stall. They'll, they'll, they'll play for a few minutes. I mean, the Newcastle game recently that that, that summed it up. They start brightly. They don't score. 
they they go passive for 20 odd minutes they fall behind that sparks them into life they score twice in four minutes and you just think oh they're going to steamroll their way to it now then they sort of settle on this I'm, we're going to play on the break now they miss the chances that they do create on the break and they and they ended up conceding a late equaliser and to be honest, it felt justified to at the, at the time, and I think that just that sums them up. And that was that wasn't against the team that was, that's level of them in the table. That's the team that was fourth bottom. As a, if I was a Tottenham fan, I would be exasperated at the moment, and and I, I suspect I would be directing my ire at the at the management more than the players. In that case, Migs Daniel Levy, he's probably got two key decisions to make. Does he stay with Mourinho and will he let Harry Kane go? Uh, and if so, where would he let him go? How do you see it all panning out? Uh, I think it's why this League Cup final is so... I mean, right, from the, right now, you wouldn't think Spurs have much of a chance, but it is one game, all the rest of it. But if they win the League Cup, there is at least, you, you, the season could at least be spun as a success. Because let's not... I mean... Le- Levy is particularly attached to disappointment. I mean, he, he, you know, when when he made it, he was he was going on about how Mourinho is one of the top two managers in world football, which 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 is something that really hadn't been true for about five years before, and that no one else in football was talking about. And it, it, you know, there's been there's been a lot of discussion about how it's 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 the one managerial appointment that Levy always wanted to make, almost as much because it says about the development of of, of Spurs as a club. So. I but up to now he would have been very invested thinking this succeeding. So if they go and win the League Cup, it at least provides some credence for that. But of course there's there's I mean, there's bigger arguments about what a League Cup would actually mean in the grander scheme of things. I mean you know, well, Spurs' last two trophy winners, which which also happened to be League Cup, were Quande Ramos and George Graham. They're hardly managerial legends in the in the history of the club. <laughs> and and I mean and oh, just because you referenced Pochettino at the start, all of this does feel like also it, it it's somewhat, or it provides more justification for Pochettino's entire argument that Spurs are better off putting more and more resources into the top two competitions, uh, because if this is if if this is what winning a trophy means, which is an otherwise moribund season, then what's the point? And if they do win it, we will get into a bigger discussion over whether it actually signifies something as regards progress for the club. But yeah, I I do think it will be absolutely key to any decision I also think I mean there are justifications of course to sack Mourinho now but I don't think they're doing so or even really ha- or really even thinking about that because the League Cup is on the horizon by extension also from what you hear obviously we're, we're, we've been going through the usual process with Mourinho and his squad and there are more and more players that aren't exactly bewitched by his uh, motivational approach but there ha- it's not like there's been anything like open rebellion or anything like that or you know, players want to play in this final they want to have a chance at that trophy so it's been a- any sort of discord has been subdued really uh, and then of course there's the Kane question given well he he does want a lot more than Le- than League Cup fi- Le- League Cup medals but for him it would still be significant significant to get that first trophy of his career looking forward i i think just based on my own gut and i suppose how you know bits of info we have at the moment i think spurs will make a change in the summer although nagelsman's future has maybe put a little bit of a or created a bit of a complication there given i think there was a point when spurs thought he, he there was a good chance they could get him where now it looks like he's going to Bayern Munich. I suppose that was always somewhat predictable, given he was always going to have an array of the biggest jobs to choose from this summer. 
So it, it will be dependent on the potential replacement for Mourinho. But it just feels like the way the situation is going and the frustration among the fans, especially if they lose this League Cup final, will just naturally lead to that. And then, of course, there's the Kane decision. And, you know, it comes down with, to everything with Levy, doesn't it? He's, he's, he's got his price. I mean, he'll, he, he's never going to be absolutely obstinate on these things, particularly given the, the financial issues that Spurs have with the stadium. But I personally I think it's, it's doubtful that anyone is going to go to the price that Levy would would require to sell, especially at that age and given Kane's injury record. I mean, he's an absolute guarantee of goals. He's obviously got a few years left, but it's still an immense price to be paying for a 27-year-old. And I think it would take one of the big clubs to be desperate. And I'm not sure they will be that desperate this summer. Yeah, well, there'll certainly be more whispers and moans, won't there, if things go badly awry at Everton on Friday evening as well. That will cloud any build-up to the League Cup final. Across Merseyside, Liverpool, Dom, lost to Real Madrid. In terms of targets, top four is still there. Is Klopp, almost not in the mood, probably the wrong way to put it, but is Klopp, is his state of mind almost appreciable now, though that he can actually drive a team to the top four? In other words... They need to win at Leeds on Monday. Can can he turn it round? You know what? That's that's probably the worst fixture that, that he could have possibly had for a game where you say he needs an immediate response. He needs to he needs Liverpool to to consider this run in as a as a title run in almost. You know, I don't want to use the cliche of a succession of cup finals because people don't play a succession of cup finals. But you need to you need to they need to go on a, a winning streak. And for them to suddenly come up on a Monday night against that Leeds team with that energy and that running and that drive and that swarming style that, that Liverpool used to pride themselves in to a certain extent, but after the season they've had, I doubt they'll be able to to muster in quite the same way. I think that's a really, really difficult test for, for Liverpool and an immediate test, as an immediate examination of how their, their running will go and, and what can still be achieved this season. I mean, it's it's just been a year to forget for, for Liverpool Football Club. It wasn't really a great surprise what happened at Anfield on, on Wednesday. It was almost a microcosm of their season. Profligate at one end, and that's completely undermined their chances. OK, they were defensively, they did well and kept, the, kept that clean sheet, but... The defensive frailties had already been exploited in the in the first game at, at Real's training ground. So over the, t- the, the the two legs of the tie, that's pretty much Liverpool's season. It hasn't been good enough, and there, there are certain mitigating factors, obviously with the with the injuries. But a lot of clubs have had injuries this season, and had key absentees as well. So they, they'll they'll just be desperate to to get to that summer, preferably in the top four with Champions League football to come because that will that will speed the rebuild as well and then attack next season with a something that's more recognisable as a Klopp Liverpool. Yeah, Dom, speaking of, of a rebuild there, Migs, do you share my sense that transition's coming and perhaps the focal point of that will be Mo Salah? It does seem that the, the word out of the Salah camp, if you like, Rami Abbas is his lawyer, you know, the word is he's not desperate to leave, but he's concerned uh, the club might not see the future in the same way. 
if you read between those sort of lines, you can see a summer transfer happening, can't you? Although it's funny they've slightly, maybe, well, I don't know if they've slightly shifted position, but that language about him wanting to stay is interesting because I would argue actually that, uh, not unrelated to what we're talking about with Kane, but the market for Salah might have dried up. Brilliant as he is, but in this market and given the evolution of uh, of the transfer market in that way, I can't see clubs being willing to pay that much money for someone in his late 20s, which is, of course, one of the major issues that we're talking about with Liverpool here. I mean, the, there there hasn't been much, um, for obvious reasons, I suppose, there hasn't been much new youthful energy or new much kind of change put into that team really for three years now. I mean, someone last night actually sent me the lineup they had for a summer friendly against Napoli in Dublin, which is pretty much the same, you know, bar, bar, a few, a few alterations is, is close to the same team they've got now. So that's, that's three years now. And I think we've discussed this in the squad before, but it was always kind of the Alex Ferguson maximum, the the the, the most you can have, or the longest cycle you can have with any group of players is three to four years before you meet. You need significant change. Liverpool seem identifiably at that point with that most visible in the in the strike force because of that three that have been so crucial for um for so long. They're all what around twenty eight. I think all within within six months of each other in terms of age. So that is where you should see change. The only thing is, I mean, I, you do wonder whether one of the effects of the crisis for the club was that it maybe derailed their succession plan a little bit. I mean, perhaps in a, in a different world, they would have willingly sold on one of Mane or Salah to one of the Spanish clubs who could who would have paid that much so they could bring in a Sancho or players five years younger just to refresh refresh that attack in a way that's required. But now we're in a world where, I mean, Madrid, they don't really have interest in Salah anymore. They, they, they want Haaland and Mbappe. Yeah, and their uh, president wants a European Super League. So we'll see how that one pans out, won't we? You know, talking of European elements and you know, UEFA specifically, I'd just like to end on the case of, of Andre Kudela, banned for 10 games for racist behaviour. Now, while the UEFA decision's been made, there's still a criminal investigation uh, ongoing with Police Scotland. So we need to be delicate here. But I think it's important to challenge UEFA on the type of punishments they are handing out in what is, okay, it's a delicate, but an absolutely fundamental issue, which strikes to the heart of the anti-racism debate. Dom, give you first go at this. 10 games, no Euros perhaps, but really is that appropriate? Well, it's the bare minimum that they could they could sanction him, having deemed him guilty of racist behaviour. And to provide a bit of context, if they are saying that he was guilty of that racist behaviour, then they're also saying that his punishment is only worthy of seven matches more than the man who was abused and reacting by by smacking him, basically. Um, Which, again, just seems bizarre, although obviously um, it looks as if Glenn Kamara and his legal team will challenge that uh, three-match ban once they've seen the written, full written reasons behind UEFA's decision. I mean, look, it's... 
when you when you put it into the context of other, some other sanctions that that UEFA hand out, whether that be Kieran Trippier for was it was it twelve twelve games that he got twelve um, twelve yeah for basically saying that telling a mate that he was going to join Atletico Madrid, or I think there was a, there were a couple of players who got three month bans for a banned substance after taking pills for altitude sickness, um, and this is a ten match. A ten match ban for, for for saying what he allegedly said, it, it does seem pathetic. To be honest, it seems as if he's got away with it, even even with the prospect of missing the Euros, and and Slavia Prague's imminent, well, Europa League run this this time round and whatever they playing in next season. It, but are we surprised? No, I, I I wouldn't say we are. I think I think. The way that it came out from UEFA was almost like they were very self-congratulatory. Look, we've given him a ten-match ban. We're taking this really seriously. Well, in the context of everything else, they're really not. And that context is key because I mean, already it feels like a punishment from say three years ago, and even three years ago, UEFA were getting hammered for these kind of light punishments of racial abuse. But the thing is, I mean, the dial has significantly moved against it. I mean, we're at a point right now where football. Is is leading? Where well, sorry, or is at least putting out the image that they're trying to lead the way on racial abuse, particularly as regards, say, the the issue of online abuse. And I, I mean, just as a bit of a tangent, I, I wouldn't say I'm uncomfortable with the way that conversation developing, but it, it it does feel like there's been been a bit too much fixation of online. When when to me, I'm not just before the pandemic hit. We, we'd been doing a bit of research on a piece about the growth of racial abuse in stands and without a fair bit of anecdotal evidence. And it doesn't feel completely unconnected from that. So it, I think, it, but, but, you know, setting that aside, yeah, we're, we're, we're in a world where football is trying to lead the way and trying to set an example as to how to tackle this whole issue. And it's why, <laughs> given that, a mere 10 games looks even worse and just kind of lessens the impact of it. And it, and it just... It just feeds like a, it feels like it feeds into the idea that football only does kind of it just takes cosmetic responses to this rather than any deeper structural issues. Some clubs and some individuals, obviously, as uh, honourable exceptions. Well, we've gone way beyond token gestures and punishments that are little more than a nod and a wink. Kudela and Slavia will probably appeal as is their right, but. There must be no politically expedient backsliding. In my view, the 10-match ban destroys UEFA's credibility. There is no sense of fairness in that judgment. As uh, Troy Townsend, a veteran of the anti-racism struggle, says, victims are becoming victimised by this process. What do you think is a key issue? And please let me know. In the meantime... Uh, Thanks to Miguel and Dom for their insight and to you for listening to the Football Writers Podcast. Hold up. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.